This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. We are going to be talking about one run in just a moment. You may have been participating in putting together 100 kilometers of walking, running, biking. I think you can do three-legged races. If you want to do them for 100K, you could do anything you wanted to over the last month in preparation for essentially tonight, now, and tomorrow. One run kind of changed things up this year as everything has changed up this year, but it has been pretty wild to communicate with people online and check how people are doing in accumulating 100 kilometers over a month because Teresa Carrier is getting set to run 100K in the span of 24 hours. So let me let me see here. All of us had a month, and uh, to tell you the truth, you know, we, we just, most of us came up and over the hump. We, we just got there in that month. Teresa's now set to do it in 24 hours. She will begin tonight but she joins us now Teresa how are you feeling hi Mike I'm excited and nervous and all those good things you've done this a few times you've run 100k in the span of 24 hours many times now I don't know how many people can say many will this be number six this will be number six yes number six so it it all started going I'm sure it doesn't. It all started going back and forth between Sarnia and London. And last year, you did a big loop out around Strathroy and came back. And it's amazing to watch Teresa do this. If you've ever had a chance, the zone that you get into, especially toward the end of the 100 kilometers, is remarkable. But what you're doing is remarkable. And, of course, this has helped to raise over a million dollars in the fight against cancer and in cancer research research dollars. So thank you again for all of that, and thank you to everybody for their contributions. Teresa, let's kind of look at the way this is going to play out, because tomorrow was going to be an incredibly steamy day, and John Wilson says it's still going to be really hot, so you're going to start this tonight. What's happening tonight? Well, tonight, the hope is that I can complete about 40K starting at 5 p.m., and uh, after a little bit of sleep, I'll head back out tomorrow morning at 5 a.m. 5 a.m. and complete the 100 kilometers. That's the goal. That's the objective, and hopefully it pans out the way we, we think it will. Yeah, let's hope so. So starting at 5 and then starting at 5 again. And when you say a couple hours of sleep, I mean, I think all of us, we, we usually promise there will be no math. This is the second time <laughs> we'll do some math on London Live because think about doing a 40-kilometer run and how long that might take uh, let's say, you know, even, even if you're running a six and a half, seven minute kilometer, uh, yeah, that's, that's 280 minutes. That's, whew, that's taking you way into the night. Now, Teresa, you tend to run a little faster than that. Do you actually aim for a certain speed during this? No, actually, I don't, I try not to think about how long it'll take me. I just focus on one foot in front of the other, especially as you know, Mike, towards the last, uh, 30 or 40 K. That's uh, all I want to do is make sure I'm standing by the time we reach the finish line. Teresa Carrier joining us as one run arrives at the big event, which is Teresa's 100 kilometers, which will begin tonight and then hopefully conclude tomorrow morning and keep away from some of the heat and humidity that we're feeling right now. Teresa, this has been a different experience having everybody involved kind of online and virtually, but what's it been like? 
Well, the 100-kilometer virtual journey has been so exciting. It's It's been great to have so many people. I think we had about 1,200 registered to uh, complete the 100K over the month. So to have that many people engaged and supporting our campaign has been uh, really exciting for all of us. You know, as you can imagine, we, we started prepping for our 10th anniversary last July, and we had everything in place and ready to go. And unfortunately, things didn't work out the way it, we had hoped and uh, the team got together and, and thought, you know, we can still manage to salvage some of our campaign and support Child Can and Wellspring and hopefully bring in a few funds. But more importantly, to have people focus on something that was more positive and something community. So it's worked out really well. We're very thrilled. And thankfully for the hard work of our, our one-run team, it's, it's working out better than we expected. Well, you know what, that's, that's been the amazing part of it, the encouragement along the way, how connected everybody's been able to be. And I want to thank you for helping my wife and I, I think, to, to get through this pandemic because it kind of forced us to go out and walk. And we walk together and you wind up chatting. And it's, you know what, we have a better relationship, even oh. though we're, you know, we're many years into it, thanks to this oh, particular go. version of One Run. So I owe you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. That's great news. So how has the training been going for you through all of this? Uh, the training's been going extremely well. It's uh, thankfully, up until really this week, the weather has been so good. So it's been fairly cool, and, and the runs uh, I've been able to manage quite well. But uh, as as we're just a few hours away, of course, the butterflies are start, starting to form and start to question, you know, did I do enough? Am I ready for it? So hopefully with my team by the, my side, we can get through it. But uh, the, the training's been very good. And as you mentioned, Mike, it's it's been a really good focus other than thinking about what's happening outside of your home, you know, in the, in the real world. It's, it's been nice to focus on something that's uh, more positive and, and health-promoting. So it, it's been my saving grace and my family as well uh, to have something like this to focus on. Yeah, it's, it really has been excellent. And, Teresa, remember what butterflies mean. Butterflies mean you're ready. Butterflies mean oh. you're focused. You've got the attention. You, you, you don't want to have it where you don't have the butterflies. When you don't have butterflies going into something, it means you're probably a little too relaxed. So I, I think you feel exactly how you need to feel. Thanks, Coach. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we want to wish you the best in all of this. Teresa, thanks for taking some time out for us. We'll let you do all of the final preparations that you need to do. Um, but you'll be you'll be headed out and, and doing 100K a little differently than normal. But you know what? I think we all look forward to the day when either you or all of us or we can combine on a 100K for one run, whatever, whatever the future happens to hold for this particular event. Thank you for making it what it is because it's become a real part of the fabric of of what keeps people going in the right direction toward a goal. And the money that you have raised and the lives you have touched, it's sensational. So thank you. Thank you, Mike. And again, thank you for all your support. It means a whole lot to us. Uh, we're very fortunate to have people like you involved. Well, we won't be right beside you, but know that whenever whenever things are, are feeling a little tough on the run, I'm, I'm yelling. I'm yelling, okay. go, Teresa, go. <laughs> I'll remember that. I'll record it and send it to you. <laughs> Sounds good, Mike. Thanks, Teresa. Thank you. You have a great day. Thank you. And a great evening. That's Teresa Carrier of One Run. Teresa is going to run 100 kilometers in less than 24 hours. Uh, she's going to do about 40K tonight and then get up at about 5 o'clock in the morning tomorrow and be out and doing this. And this is the sixth time she has done this. Teresa is a breast cancer survivor. 
and is incredible. And, you know, those butterflies, they're going to be there, but so will she through all of this. So thank you for being involved in One Run this year if you were able to get involved. And if not, check it out, onerun.ca, because they'll be doing something again next year. And they always seem to add new elements to it. And once we get through this pandemic, the elements that they plan to add, can't wait to see how that goes. Well, mines were put together last night, and those mines are trying to figure out what to do with a budget shortfall for the city of London. A lot of municipalities are putting their heads together and trying to figure out this same thing. Here comes some more math on London Live. Man, we've had a lot of math today. I apologize for all of this math, but... A number of the shortfalls that are coming from transit and other areas mean an overall shortfall that is in the double-digit million-dollar numbers, or at least was, going into last night. Ward 7 Councillor Josh Morgan and the Budget Chair for 2020 joins us now on London Live. Councillor Morgan, thanks for taking some time. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Not too bad. Not too bad. So going into this meeting last night, we were looking at double-digit million-dollar budget shortfall staring at everyone. What are we looking at right now? Well, the the bottom line is we have a number of options that we have to approve, but if we approved all of them, uh, and we can go through what that means in in a second, if we approved all of them, by the end of August, we would still have a shortfall of about just under $5 million on the operating side and about $2.5 million on the water and wastewater side of things. So $7.5 million uh, total. But that involves some significant service reductions and operational closures and other measures that are before council for its consideration to get there. Um, that number used to be about $32 million through the actions we've taken uh, so far, which includes uh, allocating our surplus to it, uh, significant labor reductions and emergency leaves for our staff, reductions in services uh, pretty much across the board and a focus on essentials. We were able to bring that number down to about 19.2. Um, uh, then we've got a few other actions that we can take to bring it down further. That involves some deferral of um, some, some capital projects, uh, deferral of some items in our strategic plan into the next year. Those two together total uh, about uh, 5 or $6 million. Uh, we could use half of our assessment growth. Now, these are the dollars that we usually use to fund a growing city. Um, we use half of our assessment growth towards this, and that's how you can get down to about seven and a half. But there are significant implications to, to some of these decisions, for sure. Okay, and there have already been significant things that the city has had to do. You talk about the emergency layoffs and the people who are no longer coming into work. I think a lot of people might be wondering, where is this shortfall coming? Is is there a way to kind of spell that out without going into the, the grocery list of items? Are there any big areas that we're looking at that kind of create this? Yeah, there are a few big areas. Uh, transit is is certainly one. Um, the water and wastewater budget is another uh, because uh, large industry uh, consumers obviously have, have decreased their operations or shut them down. And so, uh, as you know, the city is in the business of actually selling water. So, um, you know, the, the costs are relatively fixed in that system, but there's one. Uh, casinos are not operating, so revenue that comes in from casino lines uh, are not coming in. Um, we have basically very little user fees, which is one of the components of our, our budget coming in because most of our programming is shut down. Um, fines 
and fine allocations are, are much lower because uh, the provincial offenses courts are closed, and so it's very difficult to issue fines. And when you issue them, you can't really uh, collect them until people have had their, their day in court uh, defending them. So th- those are all revenue reductions. Then we have, obviously, increased costs associated with most of our uh, emergency services, as well as for those areas that are operating, uh, protective equipment costs, uh, and uh, because of different processes, increased costs of just doing business. So uh, all, all of those things together create the, the financial pressure. We're talking with the budget chair and Ward 7 councillor, Josh Morgan. So that kind of spells out where this comes from. One of the other things that tends to come up is we hear the line, councillor Morgan, municipalities can't run deficits. And you think, okay, well, how, how come? Is there an easy answer to that? Well, it's, it's simply something that has been set up um, by provincial governments for municipalities uh, not to have that option to do on, on the operational side. We can end the year in a deficit position. We can't plan for one, but we can end the year in a deficit position. But then we have to immediately take care of that uh, with the next budget. And that means we either have to raise taxes or, or cut services to balance uh, that subsequent budget. So uh, we can have a surprise deficit uh, position, but we can't, we can't plan for one. So in other words, we have to make those, those plans moving forward. And that's just simply provincial legislation. Those are just the rules by which municipalities you know, operate uh, under within uh, within our provinces. And different provinces have slightly different rules, but in Ontario, um, like most provinces, we can't, we can't fund that deficit with debt. Gotcha. Okay, well, that clarifies a lot of things. So thank you for doing that. So you mentioned there are some difficult decisions to be made. What's next on the timeline? Well, we have to decide uh, on uh, these capital deferrals. And uh, when you talk about, you know, what does that actually mean? Well, these are, uh, you know, investments in our urban forestry strategy, which is you know, basically planting trees, uh, investments in our parks and recreation infrastructure, um, even, you know, say the management of the emerald ash borer, we're still going to cut them down, but we're not going to replace the trees. Like, there, there will be service impacts. There's uh, some active transportation impacts. There's uh, maintenance and, uh, and upgrade impacts to the capital um, components. The, the more uh, serious one that we're considering is using half of our assessment growth to fund the deficit. So assessment growth dollars, these are, guess what, the city grew, there's new houses, so there's new tax dollars coming in. Uh, with those new houses and new subdivisions, there's also new costs. We have to provide snow removal and garbage collection and fire protection and all of the different things. And, and assessment growth dollars, those new taxes coming in, are used to fund those new costs. So we're proposing only funding half of those costs this year and, and potentially using the other half towards um, towards you know, filling the hole that we have. Uh, that'll be a problem because essentially what we're doing now is we're not having growth pay for growth. We're basically, you know, underservicing the city as a whole by spreading ourselves a little thinner um, on, on a number of these items, or, or we're simply not moving forward with components of them because a lot of these things are cost we'll face anyways. Uh, they're, they're not going to go away. So this is one that is, uh, it's not a great decision from a long-term financial perspective, but it's one that we need to consider to try to do our part in getting this down. Well, we wish you the best of luck in all of this, Councillor Morgan. Nothing has been easy in this situation, and uh, getting it down from 32 to roughly 7, that's that's been a feat in itself, and we'll see how things go in the coming weeks and months. Thanks so much for the time today, and thanks for the clarification on everything. 
Yeah, and let me just say that seven is only till the end of August, so we still have a whole other quarter of the year to deal with. So uh, it sounds like we've made some progress, but we still have a long way to go to solve this thing. Good luck. Thanks again, Thanks. and keep safe. You too. That is Budget Chair and Ward 7 Councillor Josh Morgan. So that kind of spells out some of the things that we hear. Why can't a municipality run a deficit? Well, that's been set up by the province. You don't want to be in that situation anyway if you can avoid it. And, you know, provinces don't want to be bailing out municipalities. Well, right now, what kind of a situation are we headed in? As Councillor Morgan says, that's $7 million that they pared things down with, with really difficult decisions, laying off employees, emergency leave for employees. It's more than just seeing some of the grass grow in the medians, but... That's certainly something that has been a, a real albatross on the shoulders of city staff, and it's not going anywhere anytime soon. So that's the latest to bring you up to date. His career in Major Junior started with three games for the team of the century in the playoffs in 2004-2005, and it has gone from there to the professional ranks through university sports, and now it has come to a close. Please welcome to London Live a former captain of the London Knights as we take a COVID-19 break, Scott Arson. Scott, welcome back to this part of the world. Thanks, Stubby. Stubsy, thanks for having me. How you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. Uh, you know, all things considered, it's uh, a bit of a strange situation these days. It's unique, but uh, keeping busy with uh, the family and uh, everyone's healthy, so that's the main thing. Yeah, if we go back to when you were with the Junior Knights or when you were with the St. Thomas Stars or on to the London Knights, family meant a whole different thing, uh, meant the family you grew up with. We've now seen you build your own family and take a hockey tour that's been pretty amazing. You've decided to call it a career. How tough was the decision to make? Yeah, I don't I don't think it's ever easy for anyone, uh, especially athletes, when they decide to retire, uh, you know, putting so many years and countless hours of, of work and practice into, you know, a sport that you love. It's it's tough to give up, I'm not going to lie. But, um, you know, I felt my time was right, and uh, I'm really looking forward to the next chapter of my life. I, I'm excited to, to focus uh, even more on, on my family and my kids and, you know, kind of be alongside them and help them along their way at the the early stages of their lifelong journey, whatever, you know, they choose to do. All right, bring us up to date. How many kids do you have and what ages are they? (laughs) Uh, I have a son, Max, who's four years old. And then we have a daughter, Gracie, who is two years old. And uh, we're expecting our third uh, in about a month or so now. So it's going to be all hands on deck here. Incredible. Well, congratulations. Let's talk a little bit about the hockey journey that you went on. I mean, starting with the team of the century and then captaining a team that went through maybe one of the most remarkable playoff series that there ever was, even though it didn't go the Knights' way. You were the captain of the team that went to the Western Conference Finals against the Windsor Spitfires. Every game went to overtime. Windsor, they won four of those overtime games, and and they went on to win more after that, but it had John Tavares on it and Nazem Kadri and John Carlson. What do you remember from being a London Knight? Yeah, um, you know, obviously we had 
some incredible teams the years that I played with the Knights. And, uh, you know, I think every year we were a contender, and that just shows you what the organization is. It's a, an incredible organization, very professionally run. The Hunters have done an incredible job there. And I was fortunate enough to be be a part of that team for four-plus years. And uh, not many guys can do that, you know, play their whole career with one team in junior. But to be able to play for such a successful organization, uh, I was extremely lucky. lucky. And, uh, you know, we had some some ups and downs. And like you said, that, that last series was, was pretty wild. And every game going to overtime, it, it could have went either way. Uh, you know, some incredibly talented players to play alongside with. Uh, you know, I learned a lot. I learned how to be a professional, and uh, you know, it was it was a great experience for me. I I enjoyed every minute of my junior career, and uh, I wouldn't change a thing about it. Scott Arson joining us, former London Knights captain, captain of the team we were just talking about. Then you ended up at Western for three years, and then decided pro hockey. Take us back to the decision to say, you know what, I'm I'm going to still take this game to some other levels. What went into that? Yeah, it's uh you know, it's kind of funny. I was I was in my third going into my third year uh at Western and and that was my final year uh, that I had left in my program and obviously playing uh hockey for the the Mustangs. I was still involved in the game. Uh and I decided, you know what? After this year, I don't think I'm I'm ready to to hang up the skates just yet. I think I want to play you know, maybe one or two more years and Europe had always been in the back of my mind my last few years a junior and then as I was playing at university. So, uh, you know, I decided after I graduated that I would uh, take an opportunity if I had it to go play pro and especially if I got the chance to go overseas, which is exactly what happened. I I was lucky enough to, to get an opportunity to play in the Austrian League. Uh, so I took it, went there for a year, you know, decided... I wanted to play another year. I, you know, I got a, a taste of pro hockey and a taste of European hockey, and I was, I was given an opportunity to play in the United Kingdom of all places in Scotland. And you know, after that season, I think I just kept telling myself one or two more years, one or two more years, uh, and I ended up squeezing out I think eight years overseas. And you know, I enjoyed every minute of it. My family, we enjoyed you know everything about it. So many experiences. Uh, that were given to us, and, and we made so many memories. Uh, you know, especially you know, I played in Scotland for uh, six years, so uh, that's become kind of a second home for my family and I. And uh, you know, we're very grateful for everything you know that we were able to do through the you know through myself playing hockey. Scott Arson joining us on London Live. Scott, when people move from, let's say, Canada to the United Kingdom, there are things that they will miss. And the UK, a lot of times, it's uh, ketchup chips, can't get them, craft uh, dinner, can't get that, craft peanut butter, basically anything made by craft, you can't get over there. Peanut butter is not the same. Uh, is there anything you're missing right now that you could get in Scotland that you can't get here? Oh, that's a tough one. Um, you know, Bangers and mash? <laughs> Maybe, um, yeah. We we you know we really enjoyed the fish and chips over there. The, those were always uh, excellent, always top top notch. Um, weren't we weren't the biggest fans of haggis and black pudding? But uh, 
You know, I think maybe maybe in a few years I'll want a taste here and there, but I, I think I'll, I'll be fine if I don't have that ever again. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, things like the fish and chips, and, uh, you know, they have different different chip flavors. They call them crisps over there, but, um, you know, some odd little things here and there that, you know, I think we're going to miss as, as time goes on. But uh, like you said, you know, there's a lot of things you miss from being back home in Canada too when, you, when you're overseas there. But... Uh, they have started putting Tim Hortons over there now, so that was that was nice for the past few seasons to be able to have uh, Timmy's coffee. Was there any thought once that happened to you know what maybe maybe we could set up shop in Scotland for the long term? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it crossed, it crossed my mind that we could uh, you know make this a long term thing for sure. Uh, well, it is great to know that you are back in this area and you had a tremendous career. Congratulations on that Thank career you. because not everybody can say they were a member of the Brayhead clan. And not only were you a member of the Brayhead clan, you're one of the fixtures. People will talk about you for years to come as a member of the Brayhead clan. Yeah, we, they're, they've actually they've been around for a while now and they've changed names to the Glasgow clan, but... Uh, you know, I, I'll be one of the, the few people that were members of the Brayhead clan. And, you know, that was, uh, you know, we had some great times there, some, some special teams and, uh, even got to play a season there with, you know, a former Knights teammate, former London guy, Lee Salters. So it, it was, uh, you know, we had some cool seasons there and some great experiences, uh, with the family as well. It's, uh, it's going to be messed, but you know, there, it was time to move on for sure. Well, enjoy the time coming with your family, and uh, we'll see where the kids take you in all of your travels once we can all travel again. Scott, again, congratulations. Keep safe and all the best, okay? Thanks, Dubsy. You too. That is Scott Arson, former captain of the London Knights. As he has decided that is it for his hockey career, but he's got a lot of great things going right now. And once a Brayhead clan... Uh, always a Brayhead clan. Once a London night, always a London night, right? You've been listening to the London Live podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.